0: Does unschooling really work? Well, in this episode, we chat with Alex Coast, a longtime unschooling father, facilitator, and youth rights advocate, who shares how it's not only possible, it's in fact a reality for many. He shares stories from his 20-plus years of advocating for and supporting youth, on how to be present and build trusting relationships with kids, and how he has witnessed youth thrive outside of conventional systems. Whether you're an unschooling parent, facilitator, or human wishing to just connect with and support kids, this one's for you. Well, we're here for an episode of Radical Learning Talks with our friend, alexander coast alex coast and i'm so excited for this one and so am i (laughs) i feel like god alex there's so much we could talk about on our like in our time
1: together and so i guess we'll just see where this goes and maybe and maybe start by asking you what you could tell the listeners that you find very important for them to know about you
0: as we enter this yes. conversation, and might help give them some context as to like who you are and and why they sure. why they should listen to this whole thing. <laughs> why to
2: listen to me? I don't know. I guess the the short summary is I I, I started a democratic free school. I started a, a junk playground. I started a new sort of methodology of subjected directed education, uh, flying squads and have dabbled in lots of, you know, now on two different continents, probably been to, I want to say, 30 different self-directed spaces and countries throughout Europe and and North America predominantly. And so I, I have a bunch of different cultural experiences. I've been doing this now for, well, it was a little over 30 years ago when I first got excited about it and about almost 20 years ago now that I started as a practitioner in self-directed education. So I've, I've, it's, I've had so many different metamorphoses of, of ideas and things that I've tried out and, uh, and maybe maybe the, the best reason why, if you want to listen, is I've made so many mistakes and messed so many things up. I've <laughs> I, I plenty, plenty to share on how not to do things. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, I feel like a high recognition there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, I think that's such a good place to start, right? Because there's like... We always say there's just not one way to do any of this, to approach, you know, unschooling or self-directed learning or de-schooling or any of it. It's just, it. I love what you said. It's the metamorphosis. Like it's such a process of transformation. What I'm excited about is that you're still, after so many years, it seems like still doing it and you're still excited about it. It seems, What it what is like most exciting for you these days in your world of, I don't know, like self-directed ed, youth rights advocacy, yeah. all the things.
2: It's interesting because I've had some moments recently where uh, I, I remember twenty years ago when when I was starting my my first school, uh, and I was really excited and bouncy and running around asking all these questions of of different school directors all over the place, looking for advice. And meeting all of these curmudgeons, all of these like people who are like, I don't know, I don't know, and and being like, well, one thing's for sure, people in self-directed education seem sort of grumpy. And <laughs> uh, now, now that now that I've been doing it for twenty years, I'm like, oh, I think I'm the grump. Oh. Uh, and 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 the reason why is because you know after you do it for so long, this being an unconventional lifestyle and unconventional methodology. Over and over and over and over again, you're questioned and mm-hmm. oh, that can't work or or does this really, or, you know, all these questions that people ask you and and they become tiresome. And so I've realized why sometimes people have been in it a while, uh, sort of get edgy, uh, uh, uh you know, rough around the edges, uh, but, and so it was recently I was talking to, um, I can't think of his last name. Matt, who's uh, uh, starting an ALC in Ithaca, New York. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I was on a call with him, and oh, and I was also I was talking. I was on another call with somebody in Colorado who hasn't even started a school yet and is excited about starting one. And there were two moments in the last say month or two where I talked to people who were who are who are just starting, and really hearing their enthusiasm. Was a wonderful reflection for me on oh my god I remember being that way, mm. and and then thinking to myself oh I'm not that way, but I am excited about things. Um, for me, maybe the answer is is a bit of a strange one, and I should explain for for listeners who who don't know my situation, which is in the last nine months I, I've I've uprooted myself. Uh, I I spent many many years. In Brooklyn, New York, where I had started all sorts of self-directed projects. And um, what about seven months ago, I I, uh, married a Romanian, uh, my wife, Sonia Kost, and um, she runs an agile learning center here in Cluj, Napoca, Romania. And uh, I came over and I've started as a facilitator at her school. Uh, And so It's interesting having done this for so many years, I have so many tricks, you know, different Mm -hmm. things that I know to do, but all of a sudden I'm finding myself completely in a different culture with a completely, with a new language that I speak at probably about a a one-year-old level at this Mm -hmm. point, (laughs) maybe two-year-old, I don't know. And so the challenges of trying to do it all in a place where I don't understand the culture and I don't speak the language and and with a whole new group, I had in Brooklyn, I had been working with the same group of kids for maybe about seven years uh, at Brooklyn Apple Academy, uh, where there was this core group of kids that I had just worked with for years and years and years. And I watched them grow up from like seven-year-olds to being teenagers. uh, And we had developed such a beautiful relationship with one another. And now all of a sudden it's with a whole new group of kids who don't trust me and don't Mm -hmm. have, we don't have the inside jokes or or anything in common. Uh, And so it's been sort of fun to start anew. And I have been working with younger kids again. And sort of the excitement has been like seeing the beauty of the, uh, like, every wednesday this whole last semester uh which just ended for us it being the holidays now every wednesday i spent an hour with the kindergartners uh at 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 green school here and the tradition became for an hour i was in jail which is uh, (laughs) inki sware which is uh one romanian word that i know well they kept sticking me in jail and i would break out of jail and basically one hour a week was me breaking out of jail but the the joyousness of playing like games with kids where we didn't speak a word of the same language but just mm-hmm. seeing like the smile on like a 5 year old's face and and how how interestingly how much we could learn to care about one another
1: mm-hmm.
2: just by playing that game but not even understanding the same language together and so i guess to answer the question is just sort of the 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 joyfulness, the playfulness of being with children again in like starting at, at square one uh, again and, and having to develop the relationship and getting to just learn how to do that by playing together ha- has been it's been like a, a nice reset for me.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, that. I can imagine it's not it's 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 like a um, an evolved day one, right, because it, I would imagine like your your ability to not want to control them is far more evolved and advanced than when you first started this journey as most adults do. You know, they enter with all of we enter with all our crap, you know, all of our our chains. And so I'm I I'm so fascinated. I'm so inspired by the work you do, Alex, I've always been because you've been such an inspiration to really um understand, look at and understand how i show up in spaces with youth and Mm -hmm. all of my isms that i come with you know like wanting to control wanting to you know like yeah just all all the adultism um yeah and really like as i hear you speak the just being super present without you know without like you're just you're you're just there playing with them you're not there to like make them do anything or want them to be anything and um yeah it's not really a question it's just more I I, I feel a need to to just share with you that that's super inspirational it's always been inspirational to me to hear you speak about your relationship with kids and oh, thank you. how you hold space for them
2: that's yeah. actually if if I may just interject on that um that's one of the things that I've noted when, when you reset, like I just described, you get to see, you know, I'm not the same person I was when I started out doing this 20 years ago or whatever. And it's interesting to see, maybe one of the nice things about being in I'm 47 years old and uh, you know, I like being 47, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, having all the, all these like skills and all of these experiences, I guess, I guess, what the word is, is wisdom, right? Is Mm. All all the things that I've I've figured out with this reset, being able to go into a space and realizing how easy it is for me to be present with children and how much baggage I've been able to let go of has been really interesting this year Um, and seeing how much I haven't brought along. And it really is uh, about... I I think the word that I've been using the most lately in describing the work I do with children has been sincerity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really is just about going in and being completely honest, but not just honest, like just being present, being deliberate in in your actions, and and just really being present with the kids, and and not not having no bullshit, having no no. Uh, uh, no agendas, no expectations. That was an interesting one. I, I remember when my own children were younger, they they went through. They were at a, a at a free school. They were at an agile learning center. They were at two different unschooling centers. They uh, are now unschoolers themselves.. Uh, and, um, so you know, you fill out lots of different forms for the different types of schools or centers, uh, the not just the liability forms, but I can remember different ones having the iterations of like,, uh, you know, can your child leave the the school campus uh, and then you check off alone with a friend with only with an adult or whatever. And even when my kids were five, I used to be like, they want to watch R-rated movies. They want to leave the campus by themselves. Like, I don't care. <laughs> I always gave them 100% access to everything because I was like, if they feel confident to do that, go do it. Mm.
1: Uh,
2: and, uh, and yeah, like, I, I always thought that the the, the R-movie thing was a funny one because it's like, no five-year-old wants to watch an R-rated movie. They might say they do and they'll get two minutes into it. But no, They're
0: like, going to be scared as shit. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, like you, that's like one of those like it takes care of itself. Like mm-hmm. uh, I don't need to enforce anything on that. And when they're feeling comfortable, then good, they're they're ready for it. But uh, in, and I remember one of the one of the ones that kept a question that kept coming up was, "What are your expectations for your children this school year?" And I used to always answer it, "I have none." And and I think that that's one that I've stuck with all these years is an important it's not to say that I don't have expectations or or or, or sorry that I don't have hopes or desires, and that sort of a thing, but expectations, not really. And I, I think that's an important one for me in youth rights is I don't expect you to be anyway, I expect you to be whoever you are and to walk in and then we'll figure out how to be together. Uh, or not, mm-hmm. uh, and and I, I think that that's that's a big one that I I've learned how to to do well walking into a space with a group of kids, and and that would be something that I would even like for here's a, 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 a when when you describe it abstractly maybe it's hard to understand what I mean. I'm going to give a personal example. My oldest son James, he's 16, and he's he's kind of your classic. Uh, unschooler who like, he loves video editing. He's really into video games uh, and he's he's a gamer and he's not a very academic kid. Uh, whereas my, my, I have three children and whereas my next youngest Oliver is your classic like wants to take four science classes each semester sort of academic kid. They're just very different kids. And interestingly enough, despite the fact that I'm really into youth rights and self-directed education, I myself am kind of a, a, quite like a snooty academic person. Like I love literature. I love reading. I'm the person who like, if you, you know, spell your, your, or their, their <laughs> wrong, like, I'm like, ugh, God. Uh,
0: you must hate and... my emails then. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, and James has really challenged me all the way along. Mm. And I used to read to my kids all the time. And at some point in time, they were like, dad, like, you know, I'm like a teenager. Stop trying to read me books. Um, And they just, and James in particular has like just completely given up on reading in the sense of, you know, that when an academic says reading, uh, like he's not reading the, the classics sort of a thing. Um, and I had a really hard time with that. Like that was my own de-schooling process of like, I like, oh my God, my, my son is going to grow up ignorant. And here I am professing like youth rights and self-directed education to the world. And uh, you know, I was having these expectations of my own son. And that was a hard one for me to throw away, to realize, like, oh, he can be a completely capable, intelligent, wonderful human being. Or at least happy, and never read any literature whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think I've 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 done so much deschooling of my own that I've now been able to approach other kids a lot more easily without having to battle a lot of that.
1: This is so interesting to listen to Alex and I find myself very quiet because I'm like oh I'm listening to a podcast and then I'm like damn it we're recording it I'm supposed to interview (laughs) it's just very engaging what you're telling and also it fills me with a lot of hope because i am always looking at my own de-schooling process and i see these patterns play out like the other day when i i actually stopped myself from telling my kid to greet a person that came into our home. I was like, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. And of course he was like, oh, hola, buenos dias, you know, and I was like, yes, whew, I didn't say anything. That's good, good. But so <laughs> he said it. <laughs> but you know, like we all have these programmings popping up. And I I find it quite rare uh, to to speak to adults that actively work so much towards just accepting the kids the way they are. And since we work a lot with facilitators and um, we see them evolve and we hear all these doubts and questions, it's like so refreshing to speak uh, speak to you and to hear your experience and hear um, yeah, like with what mindset, you have been raising your kids on one hand and with what mindset you go into self-directed spaces, but also to see that even you <laughs> have had to deal with these things because I think that sometimes it doesn't show.
2: i oh. I, I want to say for any facilitator or parent out there or whatever, I mean, I've been doing this for a really long time. and you know, over the holidays recently seeing family with my kids and stuff, I've had those, like, aren't you going to say thank you for the Mm -hmm. gift that Mm -hmm. grandma gave you? So it's a moment where I'm like, oh my God, shut up. (laughs) Uh, Like, it's so hard to, if if for no other reason, just because of the societal mores that, you know, are dictating that that's rude and how couldn't you, especially when it comes to grandma and that sort of a thing. Um, But also just, it's so ingrained in us. um, Like, I I find myself more and more saying to people, don't be hard on yourself and mm-hmm. if you mess that yeah. up, like so so often I hear from parents who who are like, oh, you know, I'm questioning myself and and this seems so hard. And I I keep saying it is so hard. <laughs> like yeah. you know like if if I there's any message is you're not and actually a message that I think I've learned a lot culturally, in the last few years, where I've been doing a lot of this type of work, in other or or experiencing it in other countries, if not doing it, is there's no right way, and there's no purist, or there shouldn't be a purist. Uh, uh, you know, like if, for example, doing writing um, as the editor for for Tipping Points Magazine for the Alliance for Self Directed Education, you get a lot of articles in from people all over the world. And I, I can remember one article that where we had a conversation, uh, the editors had a conversation on whether the article was really self-directed or not and whether we should publish it. And the the big red flag that we had was that the, the kids in the pictures were in uniforms and mm-hmm. we were like, what wow. kind of self-directed space would have uniforms? And the article was from uh, a school in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And I remember us having this really long conversation about like, well, you know, none of us having ever been to South Africa, knowing very little about it, being like, well, I don't know what the struggles are like in South Africa as compared to where I was sitting in, in Brooklyn, New York. And like, who am I actually to say whether like the I, I, I actually don't know the answer to this one still uh, whether like I should accept an article like is are you self-directed if your school forces uniforms on kids? From a New York standpoint, I'd say no way in hell. Like if your kids have mm-hmm. uniforms, there's something wrong here. But who am I to say that about a, another culture? And uh, we, it, interestingly enough, we we ended up publishing the article because I thought that the article was just, it, it had so much good to say. And it was so interesting. And I thought, I don't know enough about this. And I remember being in Turkey and and. Talking to people there who were like, we're struggling with human rights, never mind youth rights, mm-hmm. uh, and and me feeling so privileged and being like, oh, like, and all of a sudden, a lot of the like, the the sort of hate speech I was reading in like radical unschooling groups on Facebook at the, in the day of like, uh, you know, like you give your children a bedtime curfew, shame on you. Uh, I was like, oh, like. It's so funny how nitty gritty people in self-directed education get and how it becomes this like privileged, nuanced, like, oh, if you're not doing it this way, you're not doing it right. And I think the message that I, I've learned over the years and like the thing I'd love to emphasize to parents is like, sure, there's something to strive towards, but like, don't be hard on it. Just being a parent in general is hard. And then if you're pulling your kids out of all these conventional things that everybody else is doing, like... T- take some time to rest and be gentle on yourself and 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 pride yourself in what you are doing, right and and whatever choices your children are able to make in their own lives. And maybe there's more that you can do, but like celebrate all the things that you already are doing, because uh, this is not easy. <laughs> and it's not easy for facilitators uh, or parents uh, or anybody just in this movement or in any movement that is unconventional.
0: Thank you for saying that, Alex, because I feel like it's so easy for there to be like for it to become dogmatic. And I mean, we're yes. we're working all the time to like check ourselves because and definitely have been guilty of that. Like, ooh, actually, that sounded really dogmatic. Like, let's try that again, <laughs> you know, or like I learned from that. And I think like for me, like what we're talking about here is like the intersectionality, right, of of all the things like we we like to consider it intersectional unschooling what we personally do in our families in our lives right that it's not just about like our process and you know making sure that we become the best unschoolers there are you know in the world but that we are aware of um like the the like everything in the world, like what's happening in the world, like our, our, not our individual freedom and our family's freedom, but the freedom of society and that it looks many different things for many different people. Like what I'm struggling with and what I'm exploring in my de-schooling process could be the same or very different than somebody else, depending on where they are in their lives and in their process. And I think that, it, it's really dangerous when there are these spaces where we almost like begin to compete with one another as to yeah. like how de-schooled or how unschooling we are. And what I, what I kind of remember is that we're just playing into that system again. Like we're playing into all these dominant systems that we're trying to get away from yeah. once we start <laughs> pointing the finger at somebody else saying that what they're doing is not good enough.
1: Yeah, we were talking the other day about like how we look at parents that are doing this work. And the word that came up was heroic um, because it's hard, because it's really scary because we're challenging the norm and we're trying so hard and we're failing so much, you know. And still, I find I find all of these parents that we are, um, that we're heroic. We're doing a good job. We're doing something that very few people are doing when it comes to parenting.
2: Yeah, uh, and I also remind people that the the example I always give is um, if if you're trying to make say the three of us uh, want to go to the movies, and uh, I say you know we're we're going to go see uh, this movie tonight at eight o'clock at this movie theater, uh, you know, and that's it. That's pretty easy. Whereas for me to get feedback from each of you about what movie it is you want to see and which movie theater is more convenient and is 8 p.m. a good time for you or you know, should we make it a different evening? All of a sudden, we need to have a much larger conversation. And if you take that to parenting or just being with children in general, it's so easy just to tell kids what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so difficult to listen to feedback you and, and to take... Other people's opinion, well, it, 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 never mind just children, just in general. It's so easy just to, to authoritatively tell people what to do. It's so difficult once you start trying to have that conversation. It's one of the reasons I always argue I, I hate when people use the word structured to talk about conventional schooling and unstructured to talk about uh, uh, self directed yeah. education. And I say, Are you kidding? I remember the first time I went to Summerhill. And they handed me a, a copy of the visitors' rule book because the the regular rule book was so thick that, that there wasn't uh, you know there wasn't enough time for me to read it all. And so they had like a, an abridged version for visitors. And I was like, "Here I am going to what's supposed to be this the freest place in the world, and they're giving me this massive rule book." And I remember laughing to myself, saying, "To be free requires so much structure, so much more." Uh, th- that's a uh, in. Uh, Chris Mercoliano's book, um, Making It Up As We Go Along, about the Albany Free School. He says, uh, at one point, in time, I think it's in that book, he says, uh, a kid a kid who graduated, the Albany Free School only goes up to eighth grade, so uh, a kid who was in conventional high school came back to visit him, and, and Chris asked the kid, you know, what's it like in, in public school? The kid said, it's so easy, you just have to do what they tell you to do. And and I love that notion. I think it's such a great one, and I I think that that's important as as a parent or as a facilitator. It's really hard to sit there and listen. You know, when when my kids are like, "Well, I don't want to do that, Dad," and I'm like, "What do you mean you don't want to do that?" I'm like, "You just we're gonna go do it." (laughs) You know, like like it's it's so hard to to listen over and over and over, especially I think as a parent. To listen to your kids and and to respect their their feelings and their choices and to in and to weave that in. It's so easy to steamroller that and be like, well, you know, we're we're gonna go do the we're gonna go to this movie because I say we're gonna go and you're gonna like it. Uh, g- going back to my son James again, I can remember the amount of times when he was a kid when he was real little, I'd be like, we're gonna go get ice cream, and he's like, I don't want ice cream. I'm like, what do you mean you don't want ice cream? Every kid wants ice cream. And he's like, Well, I don't want ice cream. I'm like, well, we're going to get ice cream. And you know, like <laughs> and it's so easy as a parent to just be like, well, we're gonna go get ice cream, but to sit there and to listen to why he doesn't want the ice cream and to figure out something and can we go out and so on and so forth. To to do that for every step of the way is exhausting. Uh, mm-hmm, and so yeah. I, I see the reason why a lot of parents and a lot of teachers or people who work with young people, why they end up essentially bullying them into doing what they want. because it's hard to sit and listen to kids over and over again. I was going to say one other quick thought before I forget it. Uh, Going back to to the dogma of uh, self-directed education, uh, Antonio Bueller from Abrome, he and I uh, had started a joke uh, certification uh, service for self-directed education, <laughs> where, where we will certify you on how self-directed you are. Uh,
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's so. like when we get the question, like, do you think self-directed ed is for everybody, for all kids? Do
2: <laughs> you know? I think it's?
0: No, I mean, it, what you're saying reminds me of when I've been oh, asked okay. in the past, like, well, does does it work for all kids? Right, right. And and I kind of don't, I just, I'm like, I don't really understand your question. (laughs) (laughs) You mean, does, does autonomy and choice and, you know, all the things, does it work for every human? (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, I have these conversations with my son all the time, too, when I'm struggling in my process. And I'm really honest with him, too. I'm like, you know, Sai, it could be so it would be so much easier for me to just control you right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm working hard here. you know. I'm working really hard to not do that. Um, yeah, it's.
2: So I... interestingly, I just want to just a quick I want to say the payoff on the other side now that my kids are older is so worth it because it's it's uh I, I remember uh uh hearing I don't know if it was a, a poem or something like that about people who uh have like meditated so deeply to the point where they can walk between raindrops. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that that's sort of the image I feel when when you meet a kid who has had that autonomy throughout their entire childhood, when you meet a kid who has been self directed and now is older and is a teenager or in their early twenties, something like that. There's this something that I can't quite. There's an essence about them that I can't quite pin down, but it's something like that walking between the raindrops, like they're so at ease with themselves and they're so comfortable and they're so, just nice people. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's something about that that's so wonderful that really does pay off every single time. Every kid I've met who's graduated from some self-directed center or been an unschooled kid their whole lives, there's something that's similar about each of them uh, that, that's really beautiful and, and, and just makes you want to be around that person.
1: I totally agree with you. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And
0: I, something that always is so inspiring when I see these humans is just how themselves they are, you know, like they're not pretending to be anything. They're not um, apologizing for who they are. They're just completely whole
1: and very happy with who they are
0: yeah. yeah
1: yeah it's funny alex
0: because so you have you made a documentary a while ago now right um oh gosh is it now approaching the elephant right it's called i just blanked on that <laughs> I,
2: right. I didn't i didn't make it i just star in it you
0: started <laughs> yeah but it's about your story of right it's about your story of starting your your first free school is, is that correct?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Uh, approaching elephant. It was filmed, elephant, uh, yeah. what? What year was it? Well, it was. Uh, it was when my son was my first son was born. So it was sixteen years ago. So it wow. was a school I started seventeen years ago, uh, that opened sixteen years ago, and the 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 film is from day one to the last day of the first year. And as I say, uh, if you want that instructional book on everything not to do go watch the
0: film <laughs> <laughs> like not don't watch the film or don't do what happens in no, the film.
2: <laughs> go go watch the film and take notes on everything i did or wrong.
0: oh yeah I, but it's that. so it's so real because i mean any of us it's a process right so it's like we don't it's because it's not dogma because it's there's not one way to do it it's like we're gonna start somewhere but i bring up your documentary because in it i think you ask a question like is this working I don't yeah. know, like, well, let's see in 20 years. And like, you're yeah. approaching that 20 year mark. And now you're talking about walking between raindrops, you know, and I'm, I, I think it works. <laughs> I think all the iterations of it, you know, there, like you said, it's, it pays off and it pays off in our relationship with our young people that then become, you know, adults and just humans. I'm super interested Alex to to like talk about the radical aspects of all of the stuff that we do yeah. um because this is um at the end of the day it really is about advocating for youth rights and um in a world where that is not you know the majority of, of like the majority of our world does not look at youth as whole beings you know the majority of our society looks at, at youth as you know I don't know, what do you think, what What would you say? How does normal society or society look at youth and um, how do you believe that youth should be seen instead?
2: Just to back up for one second, I just wanted to say, uh, I, I was um, asked to write the the final chapter of a book uh, for a woman named Rachel Rippey who sadly passed away a couple of years ago who had started the first Summerhill inspired school in the 1960s in New York City. Um, and she wrote a, uh, I guess, sort of a biography, autobiography. It was, she had taken, compiled the notes of her husband and the, uh, of her late husband, and then uh, wrote her own autobiography uh, documenting the school and didn't know how to end the book. Uh, and she asked me to write a chapter on kind of what, what is self-directed education today, uh, Voice of the Children's, the name of the book. Um, and I, I entitled the chapter, um, It's Not Idealism, uh, It's Not uh, what, how did it go? If it can be practiced, it's not idealism; it's just ideal. And and it's interesting how often I'm I'm called an idealist. So many people, when I profess my the thoughts that I have on youth rights, are like, "Oh, you're such an idealist." But idealism is something that you're striving towards that can't be achieved. And what we're talking about almost twenty years in here isn't idealism. It's mm-hmm. reality. There are children, there are adults, there are people who were born and lived and died. This practice, this methodology, this lifestyle, there are people who go and do it every day. That's not idealism. It's just ideal. It is it's it is a way of living. And And while it's unconventional, that doesn't mean that it isn't practical, that it can't be done because it is done. And I've now lived it and watched my own children grow up that way. And I think that's really, I think that's such an important one for people to cling on to who are doubting or having a hard time is this can be done. It is done. You're not trying to do something that is dreamy. You're doing something that really can actually happen and does happen. And yeah, it is a lot of work. As for the the radicalism of it, it's funny. I remember uh, the first thing that came into my head was, uh, a bunch of years back, before the pandemic, um, I was really into. I, I still, I still describe myself as an anarchist and as an anarchist educator, and I think that anarchist education is a type of self-directed education. Um, it's it's such a loaded word that uh, it, it can be a difficult one to use. But uh, I, I don't actually mind shocking people, so I, I don't I don't care if we're with
0: you on that one. By the, the way,
2: true. <laughs> Um, but so at one point in time I decided I was going around to some of the anarchist centers in in New York City and um, was trying to get involved with them and one of the most interesting things that I noted at the time at least was that it was a lot of people kind of in their 20s or early 30s uh, who were doing all sorts of work amazing work uh, uh, that that I you know I was looking up to them but I noticed that, I guess because of the ages of the people who were involved in a lot of it, nobody had children and they were pretty clueless when it came to children. Um, as you know, as people should be who are in their who who don't have children of their own and aren't working with kids. That's that's fine. You don't have to. But I, I started saying, hey, it would be really neat to to do some youth advocacy work within these centers and there was one in, one center in particular that uh, I, I started doing some work with. And when when I started out working with them, now these are people who were like way more radical, doing like really challenging stuff, uh, um, challenging society in all sorts of ways. I started doing work with and immediately they were like, all right, so you want to do stuff with kids? We'll bring some kids into the center. So what sort of a curriculum do you think we should set up with them? And I was like, What? And they're like, you know, what kind of a curriculum? Let's sit down and write the curriculum. And it's like, oh no, 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 like, no curriculum. And I thought it was so interesting that these people who believed in autonomy and and were so liberated in so many ways so quickly, then were looking to oppress kids by placing in a, you know, like, all right, we're going to give you homework on on how to be self directed. Uh, and and I think even a lot of centers like. Um, uh, um, Francisco Ferrer, who was uh, uh, about 120 years ago, opened up the Escuela Moderna in in uh, Barcelona. If you look historically, he was like writing curricula and publishing textbooks and sitting kids down in de- desks on like how to be good anarchists. Uh, and it didn't the the ideology and the the methodology were not seeing eye to eye. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, my own research into Alexis Firm, F-E-R-M, uh, many years later, who took the, the work of Ferrer and uh, uh, had started a, a school based off of his school, or sorry, uh, directed at a school based off of um, Francisco Ferrer's work, was actually uh, uh, one of the first practitioners I could find in in modern modern day society where he was actually prax- practicing self-directed education, not just ideas, idealistically preaching it. But I, I think that children today are subservient to adults. I, I think that in general, children aren't allowed to have property. They're not allowed to own their own money. Uh, and and uh, one of the things I talk about with dollar dares in, in um, flying squads,
0: uh, uh, I'm doing like a yes, <laughs> I, uh, yes. <laughs> uh,
2: when when children are given money, it's oftentimes for behaving, hmm. uh, and oftentimes when we talk about good kids, what we mean by good kids are kids who are well behaved. The kid who sits down and shuts up and isn't causing a fuss. Uh, I, I always I, I get livid when 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 I see signs. in restaurants that say uh, children left unattended will be given an espresso and a puppy. Uh, I think that's the most insulting sign. uh, You know, and I always say in the same way that people talk about um, the way to treat children is to think about how you treat, uh, for example, a partner or a spouse or something like that. Like, you know, would you tell your your partner that they need to go to sleep at nine o'clock and to sit down and shut up and eat their meal? no, you wouldn't. So why would you do that with kids? I always say, you know, uh, do the same thing with signs, uh, replace, you know, your, your wife left unattended is going to be given an espresso and a puppy. Like you put that on a wall and your restaurant's going to be in a lot of trouble. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but all of a sudden we say that about children and ha ha. Oh, how funny this is. Um, but children are given money when they're well behaved, right? We, we, uh, uh, you know, oh, you took out the garbage, uh, uh, or you did your homework or you you cleaned your room and we're gonna give you an allowance, uh, sort of a thing. So I flip that on its head and I, I give children money for misbehaving, um <laughs> uh, which are dollar dares, which is you know, go up and, and do something slightly shocking or or horrifying uh in public and, and I'll give you a dollar for doing it, sorts of a <laughs> which are really hysterical uh and i so remember
0: much... alex one of <laughs> one like, i don't think it was a dollar maybe it was a dollar dare i don't know or flying squad post or something where you you had done oh it was prank club i think ah. you were doing prank club where yeah. you you guys staged like kids getting tattoos
2: oh yeah yeah i was just talking about that one it was actually yeah. just one kid charlie who was Charlie is going to grow up and he's either going to be like president or in jail or maybe both. <laughs> it seems to be the, it seems to be happening nowadays anyway, but we'll um, vote for
0: you, Charlie. <laughs> Char-
2: Charlie, Charlie is, is, he's one of the funniest people I've ever met in my entire life. And, uh, and was the kid who like, Never mind dollar days. He didn't. You didn't have to give him the dollar, and it became no fun with Charlie because he just would do anything. Like he'd just be like, <laughs> "Go and do this," and he'd be like, "Okay," and he would go and do it. And uh, so we decided to prank his uh, his parents, uh, and it just so happened. Uh, this is at Brooklyn Apple Academy, the unschooling uh, center uh, that I worked at for many years in Brooklyn. Um, and so happened that uh, one of the parents of of a, a another kid. Uh, owns a tattoo parlor in Brooklyn and was a a really nice guy and uh, was was willing to be in on our prank where one day before he opened he showed up an hour early and we went in there and he staged, we spent a good hour in there where he put like the decal before you get the tattoo on Charlie's arm and then pretended with the gun to like actually do the tattoo. He went as far as to take (laughs) to take red ink and uh, put it into some cotton swabs and then like dab the tattoo. So it looked like Charlie's tattoo was bleeding and he was sitting there dabbing the blood. (laughs) Down down to the point where we exchanged cash, where we had a photo of Charlie giving the guy (laughs) like 200 (laughs) bucks for the tattoo. (laughs) And we sent these photos to Charlie's mom, Jess. Uh, And I wrote the message I wrote was something like, you know, uh, it, it, Jess is like, you know, the, Charlie's parents are like the people who I go out to dinner with. Like, I know that they're friends mm-hmm. of mine. Um, and so I knew we could play this prank on them. And um, I, I, the text was something like, listen, Jess, you know, you know how I am with youth rights and Charlie really, really wanted to get a, a tattoo. And I was like, you know, screw it, we're gonna go do it, forget about getting permission. And they let him get it because I was his teacher. And, you know, I'm really having second thoughts and I'm realizing like, maybe I should have checked with you before getting the tattoo. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and and Jess's reply was one of my favorite parent replies to anything I've ever done. She wrote something like, Alex, had anybody else sent me this, I probably would have believed it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is it working 20 years later? Answer
0: is yes. <laughs> um,
2: but what... a. Sometimes some of the pranks that some of the kids have done with me have been so elaborate. And we've had like deep conversations on like, how do you make a good prank or a good joke where you really check to make sure it's not offensive? It's not dangerous. Uh, and it's actually very hard to do. I, I imagine that it's probably a similar thought process comedians go through when they're making a joke like, is my joke culturally appropriate? Am I going to, is there some group of people I haven't thought of that's going to be horrified by my joke, sort of a, uh, but it's a wonderful, like if you want to have a curriculum with kids, go do pranks. Like you're going to win over any kid, and then all of a sudden you have like this deep, long standing trust with each other that goes so far and you have conversations about all sorts of things it's wonderful uh so yeah i highly i highly recommend doing pranks with kids
1: Yeah. So like, this is, it. this is so interesting. Cause you're already starting to answer the question that pops up in my head. And it's like, what is happening in those moments? Like, why is this so trust building? What are the conversations about? Like, could you, could you bring us and the audience into like, why is this so important? I think first off, if you want to
2: teach a kid calculus, my first question would be why, but no, um, I'm sure calculus has a good place. Uh, and some people want to learn calculus. Um, but no matter what the subject is, it's not going to be done well, if at all, if there isn't trust. Uh, I always say like, for example, I recently moved to Romania. I'm working with a whole new group of kids. I took it straight back down to ground zero with kids which is play games Mm -hmm. and the the intention has to be completely just to play games there's no learning process happening here there's nothing in fact it's literally just like I get more excited about the games than the kids do sometimes like I'm I'm looking forward to but just to play games and I feel like Especially Depending upon the age of the kid and the situation you're in, obviously, the the longer the kid's been in conventional society, the more they need to de-school. And therefore, the more you need to just sit there and play games with them. But any kids, like the the way that I first work with any group of kids, I don't think about teaching them anything or there being anything about anything, other than, hey, let's play a game together. And we just will play together. And it has to be that trust building. And kids sniff it out so quickly. If you're not starting with just that and only that just for the sake of having fun together, you're not going to get anywhere else. They're not going to listen to you. They're not going to respect you. They're not going to care about you as a human being. And ultimately, it has to get to not just like respecting you, but like really as family. I would say any of the kids... Yeah, All the kids at Brooklyn Apple Academy and my flying squads, like the kids who I worked with for years, like I write to them now, like one of them just wrote to me the other day who decided she she started ninth grade this year. She decided to go back to high school and she made it one semester and she just dropped out uh, and she was writing to me on Instagram and I was writing back to her. And I realized I was writing to her truly, sincerely, like this was one of my best friends. Like this is somebody yeah. who I feel equal with, who I care about, who is my family. Like I, to the day I die, will care about this person. This is somebody who I am so close with. And, and when, how do you start that with kids? By playing games. And if you want to up that one level further, pranks, especially doing it with kids who come from a conventional environment. I'm going to give a terrible example, but this is, this is an honest example. There's, there's a kid who I'm working with in Romania. Who's, I think he's maybe 12. One of the fun things about self-directed kids is you never know how old they are. (laughs) Um, Just like we don't know how old adults are. Uh, uh, But I think he's 12 and he's obviously, when I when I first started working with him, I realized immediately he had no trust for me whatsoever and clearly wasn't trusting in adults. I don't know why. I don't want to go into the the reasons why. It's not pertinent to the story. But um, we started talking. And I remember one day telling him uh, about my next door neighbor, the, the guy who lived across the street from me as a kid, this guy, Bob who everybody in the neighborhood hated because Bob just did not respect kids. He uh, The example I gave the kid was he used to tell us that he was poisoning his lawn so that we wouldn't go on his, on the grass on his lawn. <laughs> and and many years later, we found out that it was fertilizer it was putting on the lawn. And he was like that type of a guy. So, of course, what does every kid want to do? Go on his lawn. Duh. And uh, I, I ended up, I realized one day I was very like, going into deep details about how to do the the poop in a bag ring and run story, which is you get a paper bag, you poop in it, you put it down on a doorstep, you light it on fire, you ring the doorbell and you run away because then when the person comes to the door, they see a fire and what do they do, they stamp it out. And, and this kid, I remember it was this moment on this kid's face where this 12 year old's looking at this 47 year old <laughs> from a completely different country. Is li- and the look on his face was like, oh, I can take this guy se- like I can t- take this guy seriously. Uh, like something changed that moment with that kid. And now I'm not professing that we should all go tell the poop in the bag story to kids to gain their trust or something like that. I wasn't doing it intentionally. I was actually just really into telling him this really funny story. But realizing that I was willing to go as far as that and to be that vulnerable and to tell that story, he knew. That I was being genuine. Mm-hmm. It goes back to the word sincerity again, right? I was really being sincere. I was really just sharing a story with like, I would share a story with any, you know, like the sitting at the bar and telling the story sort of a thing, despite the fact that he was 12 and that maybe I could even get in trouble if it was found out that I told this story to this kid. And I remember a week later him telling me about how he and his friends break into an abandoned factory and how they've had to run away from the police. And I found myself again, sitting there being like, whoa, that story's so cool. And now you might say like, oh man, he's running away from the cops and he's breaking into, you know, he's trespassing and doing all this stuff. Had I approached that kid being like, whoa, 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 like you, you can't be trespassing and stuff like that. Like had I thought there was a danger of this kid getting hurt or if he was telling me he was doing drugs or, or, you know, like something serious, it's a different story, but in the story, it was obvious. It was an abandoned factor. They they were just being kids just wanting to go into the place where, because trespassing's bad and that sort of thing. And that, you know, and I knew that I hit a new level with this kid where he was telling this to me because he knew I would enjoy the Mm -hmm. story. And now, now that, He knows that he can tell that to me. I now have the ability that if he does come up to me with something serious, where it really is scary or dangerous or something like that, I can actually, in all sincerity, say to him, like, look, I'm really concerned about what you're doing. And I think that you need to stop or consider it or whatever. And he will actually listen to me. Yeah. Because we've now developed that. And as far as I'm concerned, until you have that, there's nothing else. After you have that, great. Now we can go on and learn calculus or rock climbing or whatever. Like we can go tackle anything together because now we're family and we have that trust in that relationship. But until that's built, there's, there's nothing else should be done until that has been developed. And oh, and sorry, just to, to bring it all back and pranking is a great utility for doing that with kids because it's little troublesome things. That's not really, it's not really bad. It's just bad enough. And it's a great first connection into doing that with kids.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just enjoying the story. I'm enjoying the, (laughs) the, the, the the episode. And I'm, I'm wondering, um, Alex, because it's so beautiful what you're sharing and we both agree so much. And I think it's a fabulous um, piece of advice, actually, both the dollar dares and the pranking and the trust building, because it is it is really the most important thing. I don't think you can get anywhere with any human without that. And and I'm wondering, like, what do you think gets in the way of people that aren't truly advocating for kids? And they go back and slip into oppression.
2: I mean, at the end of it, it's really fear, isn't it? Uh, fear of so many different things. I, I, I think. Tell me if more. You, if, if, <laughs> if, if if you ask most parents, if if most parents were to answer honestly, why they do a lot of stuff with their kids, they do it because they're nervous that the next door neighbor or the teacher or the their family at at a, a holiday meal together or whatever is going to think poorly of them i can remember when my kids were really little in new york city being you know when you're on the playground you're in the public school playgrounds that's where kids play oftentimes even though my kids didn't go to public school we went to the public school playground when they wanted to run around and i can remember being really nervous at th- like when i was a new dad early on, I can remember my kids like doing things like climbing up the slide rather than sliding down it and other parents going over to reprimand my kids. And then me feeling the pressure of like, oh, maybe I should tell my kids that they shouldn't do that. And then like going home and being like, am I crazy? Like, why would I do that to my kids? Whose
0: side am I on? Right. (laughs) But,
2: but it's so that like literally that peer pressure, I think the scariness of like, oh, the you know, all the other parents are going to think I'm crazy and like, and should I do that? And I think that's a lot of pressure. Just the the like the unconventionality of it, I think goes a long way. Then I think also the unknown it's funny that we use the word traditional and it's the 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 one that it's one that I'm the most stickler about you'll notice i always use the word conventional instead of traditional to talk about the type of education that most of us are familiar with today um it's interesting that we think that it's tradition traditional it, you know conventional education public schools as we know it have been around know, 100 years maybe you want to argue 150 you, you really want to go say 200 years human beings, depending upon where you measure from, go back tens and tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years.
0: Yeah. And
2: and education looked a whole lot more like self-directed education than it does like public schools for 99.9% of human history. And so it's not traditional, it's conventional. But because we can go back one or two generations and things are, it, 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 another one is like childbirth. For people to think about having a home birth, people are like, are you crazy? Who would have a home birth? That's dangerous. But when you stop and think about it, like we've had hospitals for a hundred years, like people were having home birth. There was no, it was just birth. There was no home birth. It was just birth, right? Like you had a baby where you were sort of a thing. It wasn't until very recently that we started doing it otherwise. And now all of a sudden having a child at home is dangerous. It's like, no, it doesn't have to be dangerous. Sure, it could be dangerous if it did it.
1: Wrong. Anything can know. be but, dan- dangerous, um, you
2: know. But because we can go back two or three generations, there is no current conscious memory of having done it otherwise. And so all of a sudden the word traditional comes in because that's the way that mom and dad did it and grandma and grandpa did it. And I think that that's the other big reason why. I think in the same reason why, like, this is a a lame analogy, but just for the same reason why, like, a lot of people go to, like, McDonald's when when they go to another country. It's like, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I'm in some weird country where I don't know the food and I don't know how to order it. And, oh, there's a McDonald's and it feels familiar to me. And the capitalism has gained off of that so wonderfully. The comfort... Of, of of the familiarity uh, uh the reason why advertising on that mass level works because like oh we we you know we see that brand logo and we know we can trust it because we've seen it before. now we're in a culturally strange place and we all strive for the comfort of of that brand logo that we know. I think we do the same thing with children. it's like oh, I went to public school and I know what homework is like and I know what it means to be in 45 minute subjects and for the bell to ring and lockers and stuff like that. My kids are mad at me because they're like, man, I didn't get to have a locker. I remember my my son, Oliver, when I was fighting over uh, educational custody, uh, uh, he, he spent three months in a public school. And I remember the first day he came home from school, I said to him, I was like, you know, so what'd you think about school? And he was like, it's great. And I remember my heart sunk and I was like, it's great. What are you talking about? And I was like, oh, well, what, what, you know, I didn't say it to him. I was thinking that in my head. And I was like, oh, well, what's great about it? And he was like, dad, they have water fountains, working water fountains in the school. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think there's a lot to be said for that, both from mm. the, ch- like, I think kids want that. I give a lot of advice to, I was shocked when my now teenagers wanted to go to the homeschool, like the homeschool groups in New York have proms. And my kids were like, oh damn right, I wanna go to the prom. And I remember being like, what, you wanna go to the prom? And then being like, of course they wanna go to the prom because proms are normal and teenagers wanna be normal. And who doesn't wanna go to the prom? Like they want to experience that. I think it's really hard to be unconventional, both for the kids. Like I watch my kids struggle with it where they're like, dad, you like sent us to weirdo school our whole lives. (laughs) And like and and that that can be that as a teenager, that's really hard. But it's really, really hard on the parents, too, because how I profess this type of education, this type of child rearing day in, day out. I'm scared to death of it. I, I think you know. Every day, I'm like, "Oh man, did I mess up my kids?" Mm. And I think that pressure is a lot on people. Um, and and also, it's it's tiring. It's it's easy to, you know, again, like going back to the authority, right? Like if I tell you what movie we're going to, it's so easy. You don't have to. You don't have to make a decision. You just have to listen to me. And I think that it's really tiring, day in day out, to be challenging that. I think a lot of parents just want to send their kids to school. It's like the public schools down the street, it's paid for by my tax dollars or whatever. Uh, uh, you know, I, I know maybe it's not the greatest school in the world, but I know my kid's going to, for the most part, going to be safe. Although I guess in the United States, we don't know that any mm. schools, but, um, but, you know, for the most part, people are like, Oh, like, I know what the outcome is going to be. I know it's like walking into McDonald's in another country. Like, if I order the weird food in some foreign place, like I don't know what I'm gonna get, and that's scary and I'm I want to eat. And like if I just send my kid to the public school, like I know what I'm gonna get. Uh, and and I think that that's like eighty percent of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like I feel like the more that I dive into my own deschooling journey, the like my fears change I mean I have all the fears that you mentioned you know like what are other people going to think of me and am I fucking up my kid and I mean I think it's it's very normal to have those fears living in the world that we live in in society that lives very differently than the way that we do right but I what I'm noticing now is that my fears are changing whereas like I start to get fearful like I, I don't get so much fearful about what other people think I get fearful that, um, like I get I get fearful of the capitalism. I get fearful of like, what if this continues? Like what if what if things don't change on a mass, you know, like level, like global level? Like what if like I, I don't know, the, the fears evolve as well, not so much in terms of what other people think,, um, but more about like, what does this mean for our future?
2: Yeah, I. It's uh, that's, that's a perspective that has changed a lot for me being outside the United States. Uh, mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. funny, um, in that sort of a way where my teenagers are more pleasant than I was as a teenager, because I've realized that they're still teenagers and they still need to, you know, all of a sudden I am not cool anymore and everything I do is questioned by them, which is a natural part of development. And thank God my kids are... Challenging me and doing all those things, because that's what as a teenager, you need to start being critical of the, the people who raised you and and start, that, you know, like that's really a whole level of auto- autonomy, isn't it? To start questioning your parents and and everything that was true up until the age of 14 or whatever. Um, but they they don't have that like the man to fight. Because they were they grew up as unschoolers, and so there's like also a much more laid back, chill part about my my teens that than there is about a lot of other teenagers I've noticed. I've I've also noticed outside the United States there's like a laid back chillness to self directed education because we're not like in the. <laughs> sorry, I just paused because I just thought of. Uh, I remember going into um, police. I think it's called Police Plaza One or something like that which is the main police department building in Manhattan in New York City. And I remember walking in, I had to go in there once, actually ironically to go to Summerhill because I had mm. to get some document that showed that I, I had no criminal record. Uh, and I walked in there and I remember like audibly saying to myself, oh my God, I've walked into the Death Star. Um, like all, it was just like floors and floors of police officers and un- uniforms. And I remember stepping away from New York and being like, oh, New York is like, is the death star of capitalism. Like New York City is the the epicenter of capitalism. And the further you get away from that, as you like, as I'm sure the two of you know, as, as you like step outside of the like, Deep fight against capitalism culture. And you start getting into a place like Romania where sure they have capitalism here. I I really I laughed so hard when I found out that they have Black Friday here. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but you don't you don't have Thanksgiving. And they were like, yeah, I guess it's an excuse for a sale. I don't know. <laughs> um but uh but it's not as it's not as intense here. There's not as much of it, so there's less to fight, and it, it feels less scary and threatening to me here. Uh, like the whole there isn't as much of a a rush in the same way that like maybe my teens there's not as much of a rush to like fight against the man because they've pretty much grown up but they had a nice calm relaxed childhood where they got to like sit back and think and spend the time how they wanted to I'm uh, that's one of the things I'm really enjoying being where I am now is like I'm feeling less hopeless (laughs) Mm. (laughs) because People here are a lot more like this is the week between uh uh, uh Christmas or Hanukkah and and New Year really here it's just Christmas and, and New Year's right uh and nobody's at work and like I've gone to shops and they're all closed I'm like why are they closed it's like oh because like people relax what a yeah. concept um yeah and so there's there's like a little bit less of that and, and it's it's interesting how much youth rights ties into capitalism in that way where we're all like raised to be good little capitalists and how we need to be productive all the time. Like we always, if we're not in school, we're doing our homework. And if we're not doing our homework, we're in the after school club. And if we're not in the after school club, we're, I don't know, studying for the SATs or doing some volunteer thing so we can put it on our resume to get into the good college. And well that stuff like we don't ever rest and relax. And how much of it is just about that.
0: Yes, absolutely. That's a big de-schooling theme here yeah. too. Um, yeah. And I feel like so much of the conversations that I have with Sai are about like, dude, you're good enough. Like you don't have to do that. I'm not asking you to do that. And you're good enough if you don't do that, if you choose to opt out, because so much of the messaging is like your self worth is dependent on whether you participate in all of those things. Um, And so yeah. just going back to the wholeness of each individual alex i feel like we could talk for hours gosh there's so much (laughs) there's so much to talk about would you come back on another episode sure yeah i'd love to cool is there anything that you like any parting words like anything you feel like you would like to say before we jump off
2: i guess just the just to conclude or summarize, maybe this is sort of obvious, but I don't know if I said it outright, is for me, this isn't, it's not about a school or an education. When 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 I started down this path uh, 20 years ago, I, I, I or whatever, 17 years ago, I found myself living in the town that I grew up in, for reasons I won't go into. And there were no never mind self directed schools or or choices there were no alternatives at all in the area and i was like i'll be damned if my my wife at the time was pregnant with our with our first child and i was like i'll be damned if my child is going to the school i went to and it really started for me about having a school option for my son that wasn't public school and it really was about school and education and the older I've gotten and the more I've gotten into this, the more I've realized it really isn't about education at all. Of course it is about education, but it's really about life. And, and it's become much more the unschooler and maybe sort of a term I don't particularly like, the the radical unschooling. Um, I like the term, but I find a lot of radical unschoolers to be unfriendly <laughs> in, in that dogmatic sense. But but I love that notion of it being it's about everything. It's about waking up and, and eating and, and sp- how you spend your days. And, and and that's really altering for you, whether you're a child or an adult, any person. Um, and, and it's really about just altering your life completely to be able to make healthier choices for yourself, healthier choices for the planet. uh, And, and just to honestly, to be a happier person. Uh, and that that can t- that can take place in so many different ways and even for like the people who don't have the means or the bravery or or whatever to pull your kids out of school or whatever that doesn't mean that you can't like give your kid decision making power over certain things like how are you going to walk home from school or what what type of groceries are you going to pick up or on Saturday, what you know, what board game are you gonna to play together or whatever? Like it can be small things. It doesn't have to be this massive radical thing. Mm-hmm. Anything that you can do to help children make in, to 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 allow children to have the space and time in their lives so that they can empower themselves. And in the adult role in that really is because we live in a world that strips children of that, it's to defend children's ability. To to really be that fence that pushes off the rest of society that's trying to dictate to them, and to give them the space and time to be able to go and make any decisions, is a is a win for your kid. It's a win for society, uh, and and so you know I think just making any choices in that in that direction are are wonderful, and to make them for yourself as well uh, as a parent, as a facilitator, as an adult, as a human being, so
0: very wise words i love that image of being a fence you know because the world is ex- like all of it exists it's not going anywhere <laughs> right now um yeah so yeah thank you so much alex oh, it's been such fun. a
1: pleasure having you it's been a pleasure being mm-hmm. Usually freaks us parents out is when our kids want to quit an activity. We often fall into wanting to support by pushing our kids or let's be honest manipulating them. We think there's so many benefits to sticking to whatever it is they're doing and often we feel some urgency like as if it's now or never. But there's so many more things to consider that have nothing to do with what we want and everything to do with what our kids want and need. In the next episode of Radical Learning Talks, we talk about this and how to navigate when our kids want to quit or give up.